0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talk Gnosis After Dark. We are continuing our discussion that we started in our our live video show. That is of Halloween and kind of the Gnostic symbolism behind it, how it kind of fits into this time of year. Is it a pagan holiday? Is it a Christian holiday? Is there some mix in between? As usual, I'm being joined by Bishop Peterson, as well as Father Tony, and we are very lucky to have... Deacon Michael with us as well. Good evening, everyone. How are y'all? Hello. Doing,
1: Doing quite great. well.
0: So I think right before we took a break from the video show, Michael had uh, kind of touched bases on a subject. Uh, Michael, if you remember your chain of thought, maybe you can go into that, because I know Bishop Peterson um, was having uh, some questions there and kind of wanted to continue that a little bit. <laughs> Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, So, essentially, um, again, I preface that these are my opinions only and not the opinions of my church. Uh, Going forward, the modern apostolic Joni church does not seem to have a very uh, concrete idea of what happens after death, Mm -hmm. um, which is not bad at all. Um, That's also built into our statement of principles in that we very, very much... uh, desire that people have and express freedom of thought. That being said, um, in the primitive, in the Joni Church of the primitive Christians, there seems to be a little bit of a more complicated idea at play. Basically, that everything exists must undergo some kind of transformation by the will of God and that the nature of that is in no way given to human intelligence to know. Um, You know, that idea is very much common in 19th century uh, you know, post-revolutionary uh, thought, um, very, very deistic. Um, where I was leading to is our uh, sister churches, um, especially our brothers and sisters with the Ecclesia mm-hmm.
3: Um
2: For them, in the 151st article of their really amazing catechism, which I really hope everyone should read at some point, um, their definition of death can be one of two things. It can be a temporary release of the spirit from the material or psychic prison uh, mm-hmm. to be followed by a return of some form of embodied wretchedness. I love that word. Mm-hmm. Um, if the light spark is purified and resurrected by gnosis, death and will be its entry into eternal bliss and glory in God's kingdom of light, there to join with the highest order and communion of saints. yet. Many Gnostic scriptures are silent on the subject of Mm -hmm. reincarnation. Um, Mm -hmm. Others state that reincarnation exists as a hell or a purgatorial suffering involved in being attached to the fleshly body and to a turbulent mind or soul.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, Now, in the 150th article, um, the question is, does reincarnation merit the enthusiasm often lavished on it? Uh, The answer to this catechetical question is, by no means. This teaching was long unknown to Western cultures, and when rediscovered from Eastern sources, its value came to be exaggerated. Gnostic teachings have always regarded reincarnation as a calamity to be overcome by liberation. Mm -hmm. Now, I think this is actually kind of an interesting thing for us as post-Restoration Gnostics to look at. If reincarnation exists, um, can we call it reincarnation? naturally it has its nuances in Eastern philosophy, but even at the time that the early Christian movement and early Gnostic schools were coming into being, you had the idea of metempsychosis, which is very, very similar to reincarnation, but not often with the uh, doom and gloom aspect of it. So, as we know from other Gnostics, um, both in Apostolic Secession and not, there seems to be a wide variety of ideas. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Good question. You, you know, I think that, uh, you know, when we're looking, um, you know, at the, the process of, like, uh, death, reincarnation, and afterlife, um, I think, you know, as you pointed out, I think different churches have different views, and sometimes, you know, um, churches don't necessarily have a specific policy. Uh, I can tell you is that uh, many of the churches that did stem from the French Gnostic traditions kind of look at the process of death as breaking that cycle of incarnation. If one had it, Obtained, you know, Gnosis, if, if one had become perfected in Gnosis. That was one of the goals, was breaking that cycle of incarnation to become restored back in, into the fullness of, of, of God. Um, my personal uh, beliefs is that, uh, yes, I, I think I would probably kind of take that point of view myself, probably because that's just where my foundation is from, is that I think of that we are kind of bound into that cycle of incarnation to we um, have learned enough of life's lessons and have been able to kind of uh, be able to get restored and uh, this process of reintegration back into the, that original source.
3: Now, I've been, studying, um, I've been studying pretty hard the Sethians these past mm-hmm. couple of years, especially the, the Secret Book of John. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this is one of those texts that does explicitly talk about reincarnation, um, that for, for the Sethians who had a, you know, I guess what I'd call a soft universalist kind of theology that, um, more or less everybody was eventually going to rejoin the Pleroma, um, Mm -hmm. with the exception of those who, you know, blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you know, those people who, um, actively understood the teachings and rejected them or, uh, or whatever they, that their term for it was. So, but they, they don't talk about it as, as a reward punishment kind of system. They talk about it as, you know, you, you just keep going until it's, you know, you get it right essentially. And there's no, there's no explicit punishment that happens for, you know, reincarnation. There's no karma that gets visited upon you. Um, mm-hmm. It just it just happens. I mean, it's just part of the way things are. And as a result of being a human being, that's punishment enough. I think in their eyes that,
0: mm-hmm.
3: you know, you, you can uh, you can look at that and say, yeah. So you you get to the the reward for I guess it is kind of a reward. The reward for doing the 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 work of the Gnostic is to stop being human <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and start being something, you know, more than human that, that you were destined to be that you were once more than human. And now you are simply mm-hmm. human. And then you get to be more than human again at some point. So,
1: mm-hmm.
3: but, uh, I, I do like, um, I attributed this to Monsignor Stratford, though. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if it originates from him or if it even, I actually heard it from him. I just, you know, sounds like something he'd say maybe, uh, where he mm-hmm. says that, uh, I'm not sure if reincarnation exists, but I'd rather not wait around and find out. So, you know, if there's something that we can be doing right here and now, uh, to avoid reincarnation, then, you know, let's do it.
2: Well, naturally, I have, uh, a lot of sympathies towards Monsignor Stratford, um, particularly considering that he and I had a really nice, albeit brief exchange on the subject matter, um, quite recently, in fact, um, for full disclosure, um, I would like to uh, quote Bishop Rosamond um, in her statement that the first step of toward gnosis is being agnostic, which mm-hmm. I think is a really good starting point. Um, you know, I'm fairly young, especially for clergy, and I admit that I don't have a lot of experience. Although recently I had the opportunity to perform a funeral for an acquaintance mm-hmm. of mine, which was actually quite interesting um for those of you who are on my facebook page i've been musing a lot on death and as always causing more than a little bit of controversy um i had a brief conversation that was instigated by a uh, friend and bishop um about the concerns that i had about believing in the afterlife or not um at this point you know I am uncertain, but I'm willing to say that I'm open to the idea. Mm -hmm. Um, So start with nothing and hope you can get some more from there. Um, The interesting thing that I think is worth pointing out is that the restoration of the Gnosis occurred in a very, very peculiar time period. Most of the people who were involved were members of one esoteric order, Masonic, Paramasonic, or other. And, you know, a lot of it was changing of degrees. And the one thing that many of these had in common was the influence of spiritism at the time, Mm -hmm. which was all the rage through Europe. Um, One of the concerns that um, my friend had is that by denying or not being open to the idea at the time, was I disrespecting the master's chair? Now, Mm -hmm. for those of you who belong to either a Masonic or Martinist society you know the master's chair is kind of a big thing so for me personally i'm not sure if i believe that the master is literally present or not and i think it's a good thing to examine from time to time
1: That is interesting, you know, I, I remember being in, in Lodge once and, and you know, the acknowledgement was made uh, of the Masters, and I remember when that, when that happened, it was not that I had a, an intellectual sense of conscious beings being in the room, but rather something grabbed me in the heart, uh, my heart center. And it was just, it was, it was a heart sense rather than an intellectual sense. Mm-hmm. And I think you know when I normally acknowledge other people, um, my response you know usually it's a very it's a head response because we're we're in te- oh, most of us or some of us try to be intelligent beings. But when I when I and had that when I I remember that one time in particular that I just it just grabbed me right in the heart. It was a very different sense um, than the kind of indivi- the kind of the individual response that I have. To mm-hmm. people normally.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I can just give you a little bit of my own experience. I mean, we just passed up a specific time of the year um, of uh, of uh, the equinox period, which uh, for certain organizations I belong to uh, um, are very powerful times of year for doing very specific forms of ritual. And there's a a ritual um where we let's just say come into union with those uh, um, of the past and in the present and even of the future um a chain if you will and uh and you can definitely for me you know i can feel the presence of, of the past masters uh um you know why and sometimes very much a physical presence where 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 um certain manifestations uh may be made within the incense or or breezes blowing or chills i mean uh, um various um physical forms so um it's interesting that you know we may be talking about all of these various forms in in gnostic ideas but on the esoteric uh levels i can tell you that uh um many of the groups belong to we very much believe, at least in the concept of, uh, of an afterlife and the, and the presence of the past masters with us.
1: The thing that I tend to struggle with when it comes up to the issue of death and the afterlife is, on one hand, I want to say that a good religious practice Ought to be something that you do while you're alive, not for the reward of pie in the sky, but because you want to develop. You have an you feel an obligation to develop yourself as a human being, um, and that that is our goal. But there's a sense in which uh, pretending, or there's a sense in which pushing away the notion of an o- afterlife is is kind of a cop out mm-hmm. as well. Um, the question that I tend to have whether one is talking about some kind of an ascent or uh, entering heaven or joining back up with God or with reincarnation is, uh, you know, will our sense of self remain intact after death? Assuming that there is some form of life after death, mm-hmm. what is, do we have any sense, real genuine sense of self? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can look back to things that I may have clear memories of things that I did and said when I was much younger. And I can look at that and I know it was me doing that, but that individual seems very alien to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, when, it, you know, after death, if there is some kind of continuity there, what is that continuity going to be like? Is that, is that continuity going to have the same, be as conscious of myself as I am now, am I going to be aware of that, or is it an entirely different um, way of being conscious? Is, mm-hmm. is, so where, where's, where's myself going to be? And I'm not sure that I, that, that I can answer that, particularly mm-hmm. if the idea is here, there's a spiritual evolution going on so that uh, myself is purifying or being built up or maturing over time.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think to answer uh, or at least give some uh, feedback on that, I think that, you know, many initiatory systems uh, – um i think that is part of the process sort of that uh, identification of of what self truly is you know some um organizations or orders or initiatory systems you know uh, may say that is the dissolving of the ego um Mm -hmm. others may say it is you know kind of finding what the true self is so not necessarily a dissolving of the ego but uh really more of a of a true realization of of true self um, and sort of then chipping away, you know, almost, um, uh, like chipping away a stone, uh, chipping away all of these false layers of what one perceives of self to one comes, you know, to, you know, okay, I've got rid of this big old chunk of stone and now I'm getting away all of this and now I've got this, you know, perfected, uh, um, image of of what, of what the, of what my true self really is, um, and, you know, so does that – is there a continuity of that if there is an afterlife? I don't know. I, I think those are questions that are uh, – um, that many of us can't answer, you know, uh, until you've experienced that, you know? It's interesting um, you
3: should put it in those terms. There's – I've run across in, in my uh, my own studies and travels uh, you know, mm-hmm. the idea that comes out of uh, Western esotericism that, you know, that uh, in order to – I, I I don't want to mix systems here, but I'm going to. So, so sure. try and follow along. So, if, sure. in a Gnostic sense, in order to to reintegrate with the pleroma, mm-hmm. one has to first build a soul. You know that yeah. you start with the potential for a soul. Absolutely. Yeah. And yep. right. then the the act of building one is what you know is equivalent to that gnosis process that we all look for now you you talked about it in terms of of a subtractive so i I think of it you know being trained as an artist i kind of think of it in art terms so you talk Mm -hmm. about it in kind of a subtractive process where Mm -hmm. you know the statue is in the marble you just have to get it out from all the other stuff whereas the other the other way is a more additive process where you you start with nothing and then you add things until you get something so Uh, i don't know i mean obviously having not been dead that i can recall um <laughs> I, I couldn't tell but you exactly yeah i know right <laughs> so uh so i i i hesitate i well I, I simply wouldn't make any concrete speculation on the subject but uh but but i think both are i, I think they're both useful metaphors let's say mm-hmm.
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The other idea too that I would like to propose is again, this is going back to the uh neoplatonic origins of uh Gnosticism is that and I believe this also exists in a different form in orthodoxy um, but the idea of henosis um i'll credit with uh Dr. Kupperman on henosizing So, assuming one starts from point A, which let's just assume for most of us that's where we are right now, and the ultimate goal is to attain union with the divine, as one perceives it. Um, One achieves henosis with that aspect of the divine. Now, for a more monistic perspective, that would be naturally the platonic one. Um, That's kind of the angle I tend to approach it from by and large. Mm-hmm. But if one were to take a polytheistic uh, perspective as uh, Dr. Butler uh, proposes, then you would achieve hypnosis or identification with one of a multitude of deities. So there's also that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah you the, know,
3: uh, the Greek gets confusing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um,
2: in, in Christian terms, um, at least in the Orthodox Church, they teach uh, theosis, um, right. becoming as close to Christ as possible without actually becoming Christ, although, personal disclosure, I think it's possible to go a lot farther.
3: Yeah, well, and the Gnostic text would certainly agree with you.
1: Yeah. you know, Gurdjieff, I know, for example, believed that human beings were not born with a soul. There was a potential for a soul. Um, but it, the you know, the idea was that most people die like dogs, as he put it, and um, you know that it only through work on yourself and waking waking up could a person possibly hope to build a soul. And that's kind of a pessimistic view, but um, there you go.
0: I like pessimism, uh, uh, and I just have to throw in that my dogs would object to that last statement because my <laughs> dogs would tell you they have souls so I'm just, <laughs> oh, all right. just throwing that out there <laughs> I, I, uh... anybody with children who's ever had to watch children movies with your children knows that all dogs go to heaven <laughs> come on
1: yeah.
3: well, I think you're dating yourself there, Bishop Canterbury <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I probably am, you know but one of
3: my favorite no, movies geez.
0: when I was I think like 5
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh... well probably because you're about the age of my daughter there, Michael <laughs> <laughs> So there we go. Um, You know, we've been talking uh, sort of about this uh, kind of fun afterlife-y stuff, uh, but I want to kind of go go back to a little bit where we were in the video show, just because I think it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit in the video show on sort of this uh, idea, is, is it a pagan holiday? Is it a Christian holiday? You know, many, you know, um, I sort of, I think, brought up in the beginning of our video show that I found it kind of interesting that right before the show in my news feed, I'm seeing all of these kind of anti-Halloween things. And one of them uh, was actually coming from the... Uh, Coptic Orthodox Church that was very kind of anti-Halloween and, uh, you know, uh, basically you're doing satanic, you know, things. Uh, um, Laney and I both come from a, uh, in our, well, in my youth, and uh, Laney is a teenager from a Pentecostal background, and I know that one of the um, things that was kind of thrown around a lot to kind of support their ideas uh, when I was growing up. Um, it, it was was uh, uh, the fifth chapter of Ephesians. I don't know if you remember that at all, Bishop Peterson. Um, but uh, let me pull this up really quick. Um, I'm using the complete Jewish Bible translation. Why? Because I like that translation a lot. Why not? Uh, but, <laughs> Why not? But Ephesians 5, 6 through 12. But um, no one deceive you with empty talk. For it is because of these things that God's judgment is coming on those who disobey him. So don't become partners with them. If you used to be darkness but now united with the Lord, you are light. Live like children of light, for the fruit of light is every kind of goodness, rightness, and truth. Try to determine what will please the Lord. Have nothing to do with deeds produced by darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of things with the, uh, these people do in secret. Um, that, or probably going up Pentecostal, the King James version of that, um, but that particular chapter... Uh, In general was kind of used a lot growing up uh, as a way to point out sort of the evils of Halloween and being children of God, you know, we should not be uh, uniting ourselves with anything that is that is dark or sinister or evil or of Satan. (laughs) Um, Again, you know, I think, you know, many of us, uh, um, you know, within the the Gnostic movements, you know, we sort of look at these things and go, really, you know, you're associating everything that maybe even has a little bit of pagan backgrounds uh, um, or even pagan tendencies with that of darkness. But do you think that there is any particular truth in the in the statements that as children of light that, you know, we should be united in righteousness and truth and uh, and have nothing to do with that of darkness. And is there any even mild perceptions of things of Halloween being darkness?
2: Um, well, for me this is kind of an interesting thing because even though, um, you know, my parents were Christmas and Easter only Christians, Mm -hmm. if that. Um, I've always had a difficult time associating Halloween with darkness. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you have your jack-o'-lanterns, they're giving off light. Mm -hmm. The light may reflect uncomfortable images, but I don't necessarily consider those dark, per se. Similarly, um, my family has a very close connection with a Benedictine monastery, so... You know, having gone to Benedictine school and seeing monks in the middle of the night walking through the mist, um you pretty much have your image of the Grim Reaper right there, so and usually it's because I was doing something naughty um, oh well, that being said, um no, I don't think Halloween is necessarily dark um dressing up as demons is making light of them, messing up dressing up as things that scare you actually decreases their power. So, Mm -hmm. you know, as children of light, we are light, and we can acknowledge that. Um, Of course, there is dark, and we also have to acknowledge that as well, but I don't think it's as cut and dry as people want to make it out to be, especially uh, Pentecostals reading the Bible. Mm
3: -hmm. I absolutely acknowledge the dark in Halloween, especially when it's chocolate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. if I could Reese's Peanut
1: Butter Pumpkins.
0: Oh, I don't even know what that is. I'm going oh, go. oh, God, I just I had one today.
3: I have to go to the store a, right now. You didn't pigs. know
1: about those, Father Tony?
3: No. Uh, is it like a peanut butter cup in the shape of a pumpkin? Yeah, it's yeah, large. It's like, it's, it's, it's like no, the it's, eggs it's, it's when, when, when,
1: when they only had the eggs. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, and uh, now it's they do stuff like hearts for Valentine's Day. They do um, uh, uh, pumpkins. For, for Halloween, I think they do Christmas trees for um, you know for for Christmas, and and it's it's it's, it's wonderful and evil.
3: We've yeah. we've recorded thirty minutes. That's enough, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know I will tell you that it is six ounces of pure bliss.
3: Oh, uh, all right, I could wait.
1: Yeah,
0: it is not into temptation. I'm not <laughs> going on my own.
3: You
1: know, for me, it's Halloween. It's it's it's. Uh, I, I guess I'm I'm kind of unfun. That's what lady bishops get to be, I suppose. I I guess what tends to irritate me about Halloween is that people will use it as a a way of expressing just really bad, for bad behavior. People will use it for bad behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we we see all over the net now examples of just costumes that are incredible bad taste, things people would never do. Throughout the year, but at Halloween, they feel justified in putting on a racist or a you know a racist costume or something like that, and that tends to irritate me and then going out and getting drunk and, and smashing pump, people's pumpkins and you know tormenting black cats I mean this is just the sort of thing that kind of irks me um, so that, that that that's me being grumpy and I'm entitled you know, to-
2: and actually to be honest, I think that that is something that's entirely legitimate to bring up um While I was uh, definitely posting in hyperbole, I was reading an article earlier today about the uh, International Association for Exorcists that's associated with the Catholic Church, apparently, um, about them saying that, you know, Halloween is evil, you shouldn't participate in it, and blah, 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 blah. And I mean, really, it sounded like the worst of the satanic panic era, and yet You know, you have Catholic countries like Mexico that celebrate the Day of the Dead dressing up like skeletons and generally Mm -hmm. having a good time. Or even, um, you know, carnival is probably a more European cognate these days to uh, what we have for Halloween. Mm
1: -hmm. But that
2: being said, um, Halloween is not about being antisocial. I mean, if you're going to be antisocial, go out to the mountaintops, rub yourself with some hallucinogenic herbs and... uh, Go have some fun. And think
1: about it. Yeah, exactly. exactly.
2: Exactly. Like, you know, killing Mm. cats is horrible, naturally, especially, you know, if you're going to also bite off bat or chicken heads like Ozzy, apocryphally, (laughs) was supposed to have done. Um, But yeah, you know, I'm not firmly convinced that anyone can do evil for evil's sake and get something out of it really i mean if one were to even su- to subscribe to the belief in the devil those types of people are a dime a dozen so what do you think you're impressing
1: yeah yeah so i find i find that irksome but the other thing is, is that when people when we talk about being dark we see people we have witches we have skeletons we have vampires we have you know zombies various types of undead creatures and and for me i i, I tend to not so much see that as being sinister as maybe just a, a reflection, possibly, of people's uh, how people are, are are interacting with the notion of death or the undead or what's what's beyond. And by turning it into a joke, on one hand, um, are they you know are they not giving it power? On the other hand, are they just trying to distance themselves from discomfort? And-
3: I, I, I will go ahead.
2: Oh, I would say it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Uh, Humor is one of the best ways for catharsis, uh, right next to tragedy. Um, For anyone who studied uh, Greek theater, you know, you have your dramas, which are pretty epic and epically horrible. And then you have your Mm -hmm. tragedies, which are often funny and horrible at the same time. And those were originally rituals, more so than what we would understand as theater. Mm-hmm. so you get your uh, kicks off by watching something entertaining and then at the same time wow that really hits you like every time I watch Saving Private Ryan I'm like holy cow I'm about to curl up into a ball and cry yeah,
1: yeah and I think about you know the, the fact that people don't like to think about what happens to the body after death mm-hmm. um, and and but yet at Halloween it's a perfectly acceptable to dress up like a decomposing corpse. Uh, and It's perfectly acceptable to be a Romero fan and to, you know, watch The Walking Dead and whatnot. That's okay, but people get really uptight about the state of their own body after death and that of their loved ones. I was watching, this was many years ago, and unfortunately right after my father died, but um, there was an expose on television about funeral home practices and how people are oftentimes uh, being conned into paying a lot more money for services by funeral home directors who were guilting them into thinking that they were doing a better job at taking care of the, the dead bodies of their loved ones. And what was pointed out, what was pointed out by actual ethical funeral uh, experts was that the efforts that are made to protect the body after death actually slow down the decomposition process. So instead of going, you know, going to a skeleton uh, quickly, uh, that horrid process that we see going on in zombie flicks... Uh, actually just takes that much longer and that people were being guilted into doing something that was actually prolonging the whole thing that they that they fear.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, we as a society are horrible with death, um, which is really interesting. Um, again, preface without being political. Mm-hmm. Um, since the Industrial Age, things have been a lot more immediate for us. Mm-hmm. Um, immediate gratification is a thing. Uh-huh. So naturally... Um, you know, say 150 years ago, it would not be uncommon to have a multi-generational household in which at Mm -hmm. one point an elderly member of the family was dying or even a young member of the family was dying. Mm -hmm. And they would all have to take care of them. There was no possible way of shipping them off to a hospital or to a nursing home. Mm -hmm. Um, I myself consider myself fortunate, as morbid as that may sound, to have lived in the same household as my paternal grandmother was when she was passing away. And she had a really, really horrible uh, death uh, from cancer and was on morphine and hallucinating the whole nine yards. And I can tell you, you know, it's it's actually really, really terrifying to wake up when you're sleeping down the hall and hearing crazy things in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's natural. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean to fetishize natural over commercial because really these are just human definitions. But, you know, we live in a culture today that's pretty okay with, you know, shipping an inconvenient quote-unquote family member to some institution to take care of instead of being with them through the entire process of their suffering.
3: Mm -hmm. I I made a note during the video show when when this uh, topic came up that, um, and I can't remember who it is now, but um, there was a uh, well-known American occultist of our, you know, one of our contemporaries. I, I read it on his or her Facebook page, or something—I can't remember now who it was or when I read it—but it stuck with me that the, um, the one possible uh, source of uh, of mental illness in the modern age is the f- is because people have become so disconnected from the deaths of their family members and friends that the the normal death processes that we had for generations are no longer in place. And so, um, for example, in the, uh, in the Orthodox tradition, there is a, um, when a person passes away, the, so somebody from the family will immediately start reading the Psalms over the dead body. Mm-hmm. Um, this, uh, this particular occultist theory was that that was a clue to the recently deceased that, oh, uh, you're reading the Psalms. I must be dead. So I guess I'll go. Right. Uh, and then all, all of these rituals and processes that we had as as human beings towards our our departed um, because of the, you know, the industrialization of the death industry uh, and funerals and, and uh, hospitals and just distancing our, ourselves in our everyday lives from uh, dying relatives and friends that we don't have the 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 dead don't have that mechanism anymore and so they hang around right and so the you know, one one possible source for uh, mental illness is the simply the the presence of lots and lots of dead relatives who don't know what to do you know um growing up
2: and like i mentioned before um my family had very close connections to a benedictine monastery um one of the things that i thought was really f- interesting is growing up you know Naturally, I hear all about the life of St. Benedict. I pretty much to this day have his rule memorized. Um, But my favorite story is that when he was dying, he died standing in prayer, assisted by two of his fellow monks. Hmm. That image always stuck with me very much, um, especially since... uh, When I was in college, I was also part of a service fraternity and one of our services was that we would have to dig the graves for the recently deceased monks. So we had about three days to dig those graves and um, afterwards we would be invited to the refectory uh, where pretty much only the monks and their guests would come and dine. And for a number of days, I think it was 40 days at the monastery where I was in school at, um, they would keep a candle lit where the monk would always sit for their uh, dinner. I thought that was absolutely beautiful. Um, naturally, because many of us modern esotericists and occultists are influenced by uh, Eastern mysticism, you have the idea also in Tibetan Buddhism of the uh, Bardo Torl, um the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which would actually be read prior to death, and also seceding the death of the religious member um, of the monastery, presumably, but I'm sure it's also happened to uh, lay people as well. Uh, with lay people, you also have pawa, which is a uh, ceremony that takes place either immediately after or sometime close after death, where the idea is by doing these particular prayers, like Tony was talking about with the Orthodox, the dead would be basically initiated into death and go through the process on their way toward reincarnation.
1: That's, that's interesting, when you guys started talking about this, I'm remember, reminded of a Bible verse, um, Romans eight thirty eight 38-39, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord, and death is included in there, and, and what Brother Australian was just talking about with the fact that people were oftentimes remove themselves from their dying relatives and dying loved ones, you have to wonder how the person who is dying feels when nobody wants to be around them. And that it's, often—it's you know, it it is horribly painful to watch somebody die. Um, But there is that sense that that person then is dying, feeling that there is a separation between them and the love of the people that they have loved and who supposedly, who did love them. And who, ha- who still do love them, but there's that separation there. Mm-hmm. So I got to thinking about what that experience must be like. I mean, I was, um, I was with my father when he died. Now, he died very suddenly. We were having lunch together at a restaurant downtown. He dropped dead right in front of me. Uh-huh. Um, and for me, I mean, it was obviously an incredibly traumatic experience, but once I was able to kind of get out of this the important thing to me and I you know I'm not a doctor but I know when somebody's in bad shape and I did not think he was going to to be okay and I was in the restaurant and one of the things that was important for me was to tell him that I loved him mm-hmm. that I felt that either giving him CPR I figured as long as there was some kind of blood getting to his brain there was the possibility he could understand that mm-hmm. because I didn't want him to Die or whatever was going to happen to him without the knowledge that he was loved. And so so for me, it, you know, I think what, what Deacon Strayan just said is, is very, very powerful that and what, I mean, actually what Father Tony also says is that it, that um, what, you know what is it like for so many people, so many generations of people, to die alone in a hospital bed before a family member can get there in time? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, um, you know, this actually brings up a really painful memory for me, but I think it's actually kind of worth exploring. Um, So my great aunt, um, wonderful woman, wonderful woman, uh, Mm -hmm. she lived about six hours away from where my family lived. And um, we knew that she was in poor health, and she was being taken care of by family members in the neighboring city. Um, I think for me, one of my more intimate and powerful and to be honest infuriating um brushes with death was when um my mom and i we drove the entire way without stopping to the hospital where she was and i remember how poorly they treated her dead body um literally uh, We walked into the room where she had died, and her eyes were still left open. That, for me, um, I was about 14 at the time, I think,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: was actually just terribly insulting. It was not terrifying for me. Um, Granted, my mom Mm -hmm. and I used to watch scary movies all the time, so that might have influenced something. But to see that she was just laying there with her eyes open was something Mm. that I just thought was inhumane. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, maybe if I have a chip on my shoulder against uh, modern medical care and how uh, people treat the dead and the dying and the elderly and ill in those types of institutions, I think that's really where it comes from for me. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that is... um that is tough for a lot of people. It is, it, um, I remember when after my, you know, the ambulance took my father from the restaurant to the hospital, they did try to resuscitate him. That did not happen. And I was allowed to go in to see his body. But they um, had basically, this was a pretty major hospital. They basically had put him in some side of kind of a side room on a gurney. He didn't have any clothes on, just had a sheet draped over him. And, you know, I, I, I went in to see his body and then to talk with him, but my God, <laughs> you know, you just stick a human being naked, mm-hmm. put a sheet over them and stick them in what was the equivalent of a walk-in closet and let his family members see how his body's been treated. Um, you know, that, yeah, it was a very, very painful memory, very yeah. painful memory.
0: Yeah, I've got it similar with my own father's experience. What's interesting is that I had mentioned during the video show, you know, uh, coming up on the fourth is my thirtieth anniversary of being in the Gnostic Church, and um, it was during this this time of, of Halloween through through the fourth that I had various initiations and brought into the Gnostic Church. Literally, the morning that I got back home, I received a phone call. From My father's employer saying you need to get to the hospital immediately and -hmm. upon returning back home from my uh, ordination found out that my father was in the hospital. Well, what I wasn't told that he had passed away and uh, he had passed away that morning. Um, But. I remember getting to the hospital and seeing my mother at the hospital and some of his co-workers, um, but then, then being brushed into a small room where I felt exactly the same thing, very undignified. Now, but I will mark that, though, with my mother, who died just uh, about two years ago. And um, her death, you know, she uh, very quickly... Uh, Went from being in the hospital to hospice care and then within two days the hospice passing away but that was uh, for me a very pleasant death experience Uh, um, the nurses and the staff treated her with respect it was uh, a slow process they did everything to make her comfortable she um, slipped kind of into unconsciousness and basically went to a deep rest. It was a very peaceful experience. Um, but I don't think that, um, you know, that, uh, you know, we've been touching bases with this, I think, for the last several minutes of, of the show. But I think that is a, a kind Of a big downfall of our society today is that we don't have those coping mechanisms in dealing with death. We're not as exposed to what I think culturally is maybe we once were. You know, as uh, I believe uh, Deacon uh, Michael and Father Tony both have pointed out, you know, it probably wasn't that uncommon, uh, you know, even probably 50, 60 years ago, maybe to be in a household that was multi generational where um, you may have had grandparents or elderly aunts or uncles to live with you who passed maybe because medical technology was in the way it is today even smaller children and infants dying I think we were a lot more exposed to death today uh, or in that day than we are currently and we do tend to I think try to push those off who are kind of sick and elderly Um, but I think there's also kind of a difference in uh, the way that just society that we you know, I think even kind of the way that we respect the dead is much different today than, than possibly it was, you know, even a generation or two back.
2: You know, uh, one of the things that I would also like to bring up, and because this was discussed in our briefing prior to the shows tonight, is how do we as modern Gnostics deal with death or the dead? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I particularly love is um, a quote – I don't remember who said it, but um, there's no such thing as a ritual without a feast. Um, Mm. Naturally, funerals and any gathering that we have today have some kind of Mm -hmm. feast. But um, I do like the idea of sacred traditions being associated with death. Now, naturally, you know, Halloween is Halloween. Um, It's been largely commercialized. But as modern Gnostics, what can we do? Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've started doing, and... This is largely because of uh, having very close friends in uh, African traditional religions. Is uh, During Halloween, um, the three-day period, one of the things that I'll do is I'll leave a glass of water out and a lit candle. Um, that's a tradition that came into uh, a South and Central American religion as well as a uh, the Caribbean, through uh the influence of Ellen Kardec and um what would eventually develop into a spiritismo cruzado or um essentially uh spiritism um it was believed that the dead would you know receive some kind of sustenance from that, and that's not entirely a new thought you know you have that kind of practice in a lot of other religions um I'd be interested in hearing what you guys do.
3: Well, so,
1: <laughs>
3: it might be a longer answer. Um, as as you mentioned in the video shows, our church doesn't really have a, a, a dedicated teaching about, you know, death and, and the soul after death and, and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. t- having, uh, you know, this this project that I'm working on, this Gnostic Ascent project that I, I, I mentioned on the show once or twice. Um, <laughs> I, I do think that that's... That this subject is going to be very important to mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, to that process. So, I, the, I guess my answer, I guess, is shorter than I thought. I, my answer is, I don't really, I don't really know what that is right now, and. Mm-hmm. I, I have a bit of a sense of urgency about it. Not that I, I feel like I'm in any danger of dying immediately, but I do hope to die someday. And, Please don't. Uh, well, you know, uh, what what can you do?
1: Who will, who will direct the show? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm
3: going to have to train my replacement. Michael, what are you doing? Uh, um,
2: <laughs> everything. What yeah. am I not doing is yeah. the better question. Yeah.
3: So anyway, so... I guess so uh, you know having having read a lot about this and and, and uh, thought a lot about it over the last couple of years, you know one one thing I might recommend uh, a book I might recommend specifically is there 's this uh, a, a book by um, Father Seraphim Rose uh, who um, is an orthodox monk. Uh, Orthodox, Orthodox priest and monk, and he wrote about um the soul after death and that's, in fact that 's what the the book is called uh He died sometime in the eighties uh so he's he 's a mm-hmm. you know a contemporary of ours and he um resurrected or made popular i suppose this this idea of of these celestial toll houses. Yes. That have to be encountered by the soul after death. And at each toll house, uh, the, the dead person is challenged by, in his estimation, demons. Um, and at every, every toll house in a very kind of Egyptian, uh, you know, Egyptian book of the dead kind of way that, you know, you're tested by these demons. And if you pass, you get to go on to the next toll house and so on and so forth. Um, so, his you know obviously coming from an orthodox tradition, his idea is that you know you know you lead a pious life and you pray and you and you don 't sin and the whole thing and and you receive the sacraments and you 're going to be fine going through these toll houses mm-hmm. um, I think the Gnostics had a different understanding of that and i don't you know like i i point out all the time i don't think that what we're doing is what the ancient gnostics were doing and i don't think
1: yeah
3: that, uh, oh we um, can't even begin to pretend that <laughs> right and I, I don't think we even should i, I mean
1: so there's people a, try right I, do they though i mean I, I
2: oh reconstructionism it's a thing
3: well sure but uh, anyway that's a whole other. that's another <laughs> yeah
1: that's another, another
3: show that's a whole other <laughs> show so, you know, I think that for the ancient Gnostics, what they would have looked for, and, and I think that recent scholarship is starting to, to show this, that they would have tried to experience that ascent process while they were alive through visionary practice, ritual, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that sort of thing. and. and um, April DeConnick's book, Seek to See Him, is, is all about how that happens in the... Stop it, Bishop Peterson. I can see you <laughs> in who, video. Who's is,
0: who is that author you mentioned, yeah. Tony? Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's, it's relevant to the discussion. oh
0: no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> so anyway... Her, we
3: all
2: love DeConnick.
3: Yeah, yeah. So anyway, her book is, uh, is, is all about how that... how she believes that the Thomasine group, the group who, who worked with the Gospel of Thomas, would have approached that Um, that ascent process, and I think she makes a pretty compelling case for that. So (laughs) uh, anyway, to to make a long story longer, that's kind of what I'm working on right now, Um, and I don't have any solid answers, but I hope to have something eventually.
0: Well, I I think, you you know, um, that sounds interesting. I think you are some uh, good points, is that I don't know if there are many modern Gnostic groups with, you know, either a much practices or a theology even regarding death. Um, I know again, different churches do have different practices and even within certain churches, even individual bishops do, you know, myself, mm-hmm. you know, um, I basically do, uh, uh, um, some various Psalms and various prayers. Um, mm-hmm. there is, uh, some prayers of basically of releasing of the soul and of the spirit. There is also within those prayers, basically at Thanksgiving and a thank for that person's divine spark being allowed to be manifest with on this earthly plane and sharing that spark with all of us and releasing that spark again. Um, but there isn't um, anything really much more than sort of those Thanksgiving prayers and, uh, and some songs that are being said, but I think these are all, kind of interesting concepts and so maybe, you know, things that modern Gnostics really do need to kind of be looking at.
1: The one thing that I would say is that rituals around death, in my opinion, you know, I think that they exist um, in many cases as an affirmation of the person's life, that that, that the release of that person's soul, no matter where you think they have a soul, wherever it's going to. Uh, but also I think it affirms our own, our, our own mortality as well as our own temporal our, our, our grief. Um, and the one thing that I would say is, um, whether you're a modern Gnostic or a person of any spiritual uh, persuasion, is if you do develop your, your own rituals, um, don't expect them to give you a resolution. Mm-hmm. I remember when my father died, it was Easter after my father died, and I was in seminary serving at uh, the chapel, and I, we had balloons for Easter to release for Easter. And I grabbed two of them, a purple one and a yellow one, and I figured, well, I'll release this. This will be a wonderful ritual celebrating, you know, the release of my grief and the release of my father's soul. Now, that'll, that'll, it'll be over. So I go out there with these two balloons. I gave him the yellow one. Me, I was the purple one release them and I see my father's balloon soar way up into the sky over the chapel. Beautiful day. Just absolutely gorgeous. And I turn around and I see my purple balloon in a tree.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, you know, and, and at that point I, was, I actually thought to myself, damn that Demiurge. He's got me right in his hand there. You know, this is what he's done to me. Um, but I think what it was it was, it was, it was reality. And that, yeah, I was stuck here. I'm stuck here grieving. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to go away. And the idea that I'm going to take two balloons and suddenly that's going to alleviate a lifetime of love, or the, the grief that you know, that that's produced after a lifetime of love—that was ridiculous. But it did teach me that lesson. That yeah, I was here, and I just kind of got a wry smile on my face and walked off. <laughs> and but I mean, you know, yeah, it was just like, all right, I'm done. Um, but for me, with
2: us for a while.
1: Yeah. I'm stuck. I'm stuck here. And that release isn't going to come. And by the way, this grief is a part of being human. And, you know, so for me, um, I I think what I learned at that point, what I learned personally, others may have different opinions, but that what we do around the death, um, while it can give comfort and care, it's not going to resolve anything. Uh, You're not going to come to a resolution. But Hopefully, as you work with it, there can, I think, develop meaning for the person who is alive. And as we've talked about, possibly for the person who's passed on. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, before we get into anything else, we're a, we're about <laughs> at our time here. <laughs> I know we could go on and on. Um, so anyway, uh, that's um, that was a great conversation. I uh you yeah we enjoyed it. We <laughs> laughed, we cried. It was better than cats <laughs> um,
1: Is anything better than cats? No. <laughs> I've never seen <laughs> them actually yeah, puppies.
3: Well, oh okay. puppies yeah
1: oh no.
3: <laughs> Anyway,
1: <laughs> let's, uh, I, mean, I love cats too. <laughs> uh,
3: well, all right let's the silliness has got to be over for the night i you know some of us have to go to bed it's late here. Yeah. So anyway, uh, thank you once again, Deacon Stroyan, for joining us. You're and uh, it, Always a pleasure to have you on the show and, and come always. back again soon. Always glad to cause shenanigans. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for the rest of you living, uh, listening along at home, living, that was kind of Freudian, wasn't it? It is, <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you listening along at home and living while you're listening, and for those of you dead and listening, too, we'll see you next week.
1: Take care, everybody.
0: Good night. Good
1: night.
3: Peace. This has been a production of the Gnostic NYC Network. For more information about this and all of the Gnostic NYC Network's programming, visit GnosticNYC.com. The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Gnostic NYC, Talk Gnosis, or any other organization. This podcast has been released under a Creative Commons attribution share-alike 4.0 international license.